From the host of This Is Horror Podcast comes a dark thriller of obsession, paranoia, and voyeurism. After relocating to a small coastal town, Brian discovers a hole that gazes into his neighbor's bedroom. Every night she dances and he peeps. Same song, same time, same wild and mesmerizing dance. But soon Brian suspects he's not the only one watching and she's not the only one being watched. They're watching is The Wicker Man meets Body Double with a splash of Suspiria. They're Watching by Michael David Wilson and Bob Pastorella is available from thisishorror.co.uk, Amazon, and wherever good books are sold. Starting Saturday, 11th of September, Season 2 of Author Question Time on Ross Jeffrey's YouTube channel. Join Bram Stoker Award-nominated author Ross Jeffrey alongside co-hosts T.C. Parker and Kev Harrison as they discuss books, writing, and creativity with huge names in horror and dark fiction like Josh Malaman and Alan Baxter, alongside some of the most exciting new voices on the indie scene, such as Eric LaRocca, Hayley Piper and Laurel Hightower. Come, bring your questions, join in the conversation. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is horror podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror podcast. For readers, writers, and creators. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode. This is the 121st recorded episode. And just a reminder, like the last few episodes, our friend Michael David Wilson at This Is Horror, he has a writing and editing consultation service. Two notable guests that he has worked with is Josh Mallerman and David Moody. For more information on that, all you have to do is go to www.michaeldavidwilson.co.uk slash editing. Twisted Chains of Tales' Splatterpunk Award-nominated author Janine Pipe delivers urban legends, supernatural stories and a few surprises. Mixing flash fiction and short tales, you can be sure this book is twisted and perfect for Halloween. Featuring a forward by Glenn Rolfe and clubs from Brian Keane, Hunter Shea and Tim Meyer. Available on Amazon. Thank you. Welcome to Dead Headspace, a part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan Faro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we are talking to the author of uh, 
two books uh, worth noting, Helena through Clash Books. And when we enter that house with Off Limits Press, Claire L. Smith, say hi, Claire. Hello. Let's just dive into it. What got you into horror? Honestly, like I was in, like I like to say I was in the midst of my emo phase when I was like 15 and then suddenly my like ninth grade English teacher pulled out Edgar Allan Poe in the middle of class and was just like, okay, we're doing this for the next two weeks. And it was arguably just one of the most interesting two weeks. Like I aced those two weeks and this was a teacher that like was a really harsh marker. So I knew I did well and just the whole sort of gothic genre just drew me in and it all just went through from there just I finally dived into it Is there one especially story? since oh you go go ahead yeah I was gonna say, especially since um I was like the biggest pansy leading up to this whole thing like I never touched horror movies um I remember once when I was maybe like 13 I tried to watch um American Psycho because I thought I was being so cool like oh I'm watching this even though my parents told me I probably shouldn't <laughs> but I did but then I finally stumbled onto Poe and that just led to like um like a lot of other gothic fiction and that led into more horror and then here I am <laughs> that's pretty neat Brendan go ahead buddy all right. So I, I'm going to preface this by, you know, throwing out my, my own thing. I, I, I would like to know if there are uh, any, anything you like to share about your emo phase, maybe embarrassing stories, things that you did, anything at all. And I, and I'll, I'll go first. Um, I yeah. think when I was in high school with my emo phase, um, my, my chemical romance phase, I had long shoulder length dyed black hair. Uh, if you, if, if listeners can picture that nowadays, um, so how about you, Claire? What was your phase like? Uh, honestly, like I went, it was sort of late. Like, again, it sort of started in 15 and I'm still technically in it. <laughs> but um, yeah, pretty much it just, it was like, again, dyed jet black hair that was like cut into a pixie cut for a while because that was the closest thing I could sort of get to any kind of rebelling because I went to a sort of quite strict religious private school. So the most I could do was like, you know, cut my hair super short, dye it black, do my nails with like Sharpie because of course the teacher would notice and go, oh, you need to wipe that off. So instead of spending 15 minutes in the teacher's office, you know, trying to scrub it, I could just quickly go wash my hands and then draw it back on later. (laughs) So that was like, that was most of my teenage emo phase. Um, Also worth mentioning, I'm Helena, my first um gothic horror novel that is based off of the song helena by <laughs> I, I think i put that one together <laughs> yes I'm, I'm so happy so many people have made that connection i'm just like oh maybe like it's too far of a reach or something but they're just like it's it's the best thing ever i'm just like yes we're all connecting to our inner emo phases hey in terms of uh album openers that's that that's a top 10 if not top five so absolutely props to you for for going there <laughs> I never had so apparently you can actually like get married in the church that they filmed the music video in. That's pretty neat. I never had so an emo face, like, but I really did like my chemical romance and uh, quite a few other, you know, screamo and emo bands uh, used to, uh, that was a pretty big one for me. Um, I was just a big chubby kid that uh, liked <laughs> emo music. <laughs> hey, that's an emo face. It's not uh, a yeah, stream, emo it counts. It counts. I had hair then too, so I guess I, no. <laughs> that I do not believe. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there's photographic evidence of it somewhere. Um, Brad, do you want to dive into her book with uh, Off Limits Press or uh, 
Class. Yeah. So uh, kind of a, um, a leading question in there, you know, you told us that uh, the Gothic is strong with you um, and in your work, that's definitely an influence inspiration and it's clear to see. So, you know, you kind of fell in love with that aspect of horror, but then you told us about how you tried some other stuff. You, uh, you gave from American Psycho a go. Do you generally just kind of lean toward the gothic uh as in you know are you stuck in that time period i suppose or or have you branched out a little bit and are excited by other aspects as well oh, absolutely like if we're going with movies like i think um uh like i really enjoy the sort of psychological aspects of horror which is um which is a uh, very much apparent in gothic horror for example like there's a lot of aspects of like madness and insanity and isolation and things like that. So, like, um, another great one that I love, like, probably one of my favourite movies is Black Swan and just that, um, like, the main characters just descent into this sort of madness, like, which probably maybe that does have a few gothic elements. I don't know. It is a much more of a psychological horror. But, yeah, I think um, I guess my love for gothic horror really sort of branches out into all these different sort of genres, like, uh, like I do have this sort of weird fascination as well a little bit with sci-fi horror like Alien was a big one so yeah pretty much and even with um sci-fi horror like the whole aspect of isolation is another big thing with gothic gothic horror just sort of being completely out of your element and just trapped in a space where you are not safe in this like in sci-fi horror it's literally just space where you're just completely out of your element and just don't know what to do those are things that just terrify me for a start. So that's why I'm sort of drawn to them because I'm like, ooh. But, yeah, definitely, like, I think I'll always sort of find my home in Gothic horror, but I definitely want to reach out, like, ranch out with my other work, hopefully in the future. Did you ever see Winchester? It came out in 2018. No, I didn't get around to that. I don't know why I randomly watched that, but it it really was – it hit the nail on the head for yeah. every – if you like Gothic horror – like Victoria, I think it's Victorian era, but um, it's just so great. Yeah, like um, I know the story behind it and about like the woman who lived there and why she kept building the house. It was just so concerning. Yeah, <laughs> and just got you right, love. It plays with the senses, like every you know, good gothic does. That's you know, it, it's maybe I'm wrong, but my understanding of gothic art, it's more uh more tell and feel than show because when you show yeah. it it's creepy but there's a lot leading up to it and yeah i could see the appeal with that with that uh subgenre brian do you have a favorite go-to uh gothic or ghost story you know i really actually liked the uh i've, I've never read the novel uh the woman in black by i think it's susan hill um, yeah. although we should definitely do that on unburying the dead at some point, but the, um, the movie that came out with Daniel Radcliffe, probably like 10 or 15 years ago, I thought it was actually really good. Um, yeah. the, one of my favorites or, you know, depending on how you look at it, least favorite things in horror movies is when, um, you're looking at a character and something in the background that was still throughout the entire shot just moves. I fucking hate that. Um, yeah. it, it scares the hell out of me every time. And, uh, that, that movie had such effective use of stuff like that. 
um, to the point where you're watching it on the edge of your seat because you're, you know, the seat is very, uh, the scene is very subtle and downplayed and you're just waiting for something like that to happen. Uh, and when, you know, a director kind of plays with your expectations, you know, you're, you're looking at the shadow of a clock or something. And you're like, I know that shadow is going to move. And then it doesn't, it just makes the, the tension and the anxiety ramped all the more up for the next scene. But I thought that was a, that movie was a really good example of it. Yeah, definitely. Like the whole atmosphere that you just know, like something's up, like you don't know what, but it's just, you know, it's going to pounce and it's just going to be just perfect in that way. Yeah. And uh, despite being forever typecast, Daniel Radcliffe's not a bad actor. No, no, he's great. Yep. So this is uh, this might be unknown to some of our listeners, but you're also an artist and a damn good one at that. And uh, you were talking Thank about you. yeah, you're talking about Black Swan. Um, I saw you draw your Black Dahlia uh, illustration. It's I mean, it really is good. Do you do cover art? Oh, uh, yeah. I actually designed um, the cover for when we entered that house, actually. Sam was really lovely and let me design okay. that myself. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense that you say it now. <laughs> that you do your own yard. I, I would love to do my own, but I can't draw for shit. And you can. So <laughs> there's that. Brennan, um, jump in, man. I, I'm, I'm going in so many so, different directions right now. Yes, so I just you want are. To keep so we, we were going to go into the, we were going to go into the book. And I think actually a perfect segue to that happened like five minutes ago, uh, Claire, when you <laughs> mentioned um, uh, the aspect you like about it, you know, people being in um, stuck in an unfamiliar environment where they have absolutely no idea what to do. And I, if, if that's not a nice little, uh, telling of what you're going to read in uh, when we entered that house. I don't know what is. So what we like to do to start out is uh, we want to ask you for the synopsis because we don't want to spoil anything. So give us the back cover copy. Let us know what, how far you want to go into talking about here. Awesome. So pretty much the best way I can describe it without directly reading off like the back cover is it's about these two girls named Zoe and Elle. They both have um, not best home lives. Um, and despite this sort of, like, for example, Elle comes from a very abusive home whilst Zoe comes from a borderline, like, neglectful home. And as a result, they sort of use so many different things to escape. For example, they both love reading and they both love sort of just going into the woods that surrounds their little village um, to sort of escape because they don't want to go home for obvious reasons. Um, but one day they come across a sort of house and there's a sort of force that's luring them towards it. They can't really explain why. But, and again, I don't want to dive too far into it, but there are some things and some people in the house that have just these tragic but at the same time dark motives. And hopefully I'll leave it at that. I don't want to dive too deep as well. Let's backtrack real quick before we talk any yeah. more of your book. So submit into... Sam, um, you're still, I, you know, I don't know at what point the second wave would be considered, but I guess in my opinion by year. Uh, so for me, like you're in the quote unquote first wave of her releases. Um, yeah. that's, I'm sure she had a lot of great stories to go through, but you are one of the first published ones. How does that feel, especially with the others that she's released so far? Cause it's, it's like, she knocks it out of the park with books she writes book she edits and now book she publishes 
Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, you got um, you got Sam, and she's got um, she wrote True Crime, and then you know, with her publishing, she's um, published Crossroads by Laurel Hightower and The Womanist Kings by Hayley Piper, and those are two like such big names and such like kick-ass women writers. At really the moment I got that acceptance Yeah, in the moment I just got that acceptance email, I sort of had to, like, pinch myself and sleep on it, just be like, no, nah, I've, I've just obviously forgotten how to read. That's, <laughs> like, <laughs> so, yeah, it was honestly, it's so amazing, like, just to have, like, my work next to these, like, totally cool writers. And um, I believe you had um, Eric on your podcast a couple of, um, I can't remember, like, a little while ago and just to have it, like, I don't next remember either, too. Time doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. What even is time nowadays? <laughs> but yeah, like it's just, yeah, it's utterly amazing. Um, yeah. And you know what? I'm just going to throw this out there. Waif, second book by Sam. It's fucking great. It's nothing like true crime. And that doesn't mean one's better than the other. It just means it's a lot different content wise. And I'll leave it at that. Brandon, take away, sir. Uh, and you know be, uh, piggybacking off that you're you're no stranger to working with great publishers i mean christoph and lisa at clash are uh anytime we've talked to them they're just a pleasure and yeah. uh, any of the authors at clash you know that nothing bad to say and then to go from there to off limits you're getting spoiled if you go somewhere else like <laughs> I, I know, know it, could, it could live up to this um, I know, like I was always going in, just going like, because I already felt spoiled with um, Lisa and Crystal because they are such lovely people and they just have like such amazing eye, like not to strike my own ego, but like everyone else's that's ever gone through Clash, like they just have like the best eye for sort of writing and stories. And so I'm just like sort of going to Sam, just like, oh, okay, I'll try not to. Let's see how this goes this is my second book. But then she's spoiling me as well. And I'm just like, oh, geez, I'm having it too good. <laughs> They were really nice, and it's arguably they're nicer in person too. Uh, Christoph and Lisa, I met them at Scares That Care, and um, you know what? Like at, looking at their table, all their books they publish, and they had uh, a few that are coming out later this year. Uh, one of them was John Skip, and I'm like, man, they got they got from legends to all these new names that are kicking ass. So yeah, I, I'm a little uh, envious of you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, and and I was I was gonna say, you know, you you made a comment about how it it feels a little bit weird to say they have a good eye for fiction, um, because it sounds like you're stroking your own ego, but they, they really do. You know, both publishers, Off Limits and Clash, um, they do not miss. Um, and with Clash, it's especially interesting because they, you know, not not that Off Limits doesn't have a variety, but they they are a horror publisher, whereas Clash yeah. kind of hits all over the place. And it just seems like uh, every title they put out does well uh, and is well received. So, yeah, I mean, just a, a third or fourth or fifth way of saying good on you for hooking up with those two. Um, and congrats on having that that new book out with Off Limits. Um, now, yeah, of course. Um, you know, you mentioned, and I, I won't go too far down this road, but you mentioned the, um, people in the house who have, you know, kind of tragic, uh, but also not necessarily good intentions. Um, and I, I thought you did so well with that because that's, you know, the, the, the two kind of markers you set up there, um, the, these are not antagonists there's there there's a lot of depth there 
Um, and you get, you know, 90% into the book and there's more to learn and there's more to unpack. And there's, it, it, it hits with a little bit of a punch, um, keeping it extremely vague there. Um, and another thing that I really liked was, you know, you mentioned the, how, um, Elle and Zoe were both, you know, coming out of not so great home lives, uh, but very in a different way. The whole, you know, where people would call uh, Zoe a princess because she was always so nicely dressed. Everybody thinks she has it so easy. And that's just, you get a glimpse into the fact that that's just straight up not true. Uh, whereas Elle get, uh, has a little bit more of, you know, it's just, it's her, her home life is kind of a hellhole. <laughs> So I wonder how how much of a conscious decision was that to have these two girls um, connect over, you know, through that kind of similarity, despite the fact that their home lives are very different from each other? Honestly, like I did um, sort of like drive a lot of that from my own experiences. Like I remember sort of thinking to myself at one point, like, like I mentioned earlier, I went to a private school. And at the same time, I felt very lucky, but at the same time, I had my own struggles, but didn't feel like I could speak out about them because I was so lucky in so many ways. So I drew that with Elle, but at the same time, like for, um, for Zoe, sorry, I'm getting them mixed up, but yeah, with, um, yeah, but with, um, Elle, like you can just, I wanted to make that comparison that everyone's, um, story is valid. Everyone's. Um, you know, struggles are valid. And even though you might come from different backgrounds or from different circumstances, that doesn't mean like, and especially like since they're children, like they're 11 years old, like children can always find, you know, reasons to be friends. So that was something I really wanted to, you know, sort of bring in that, you know, you can always find comfort and understanding in each other, I guess, (laughs) despite all the terrors you're going through. Kind of makes me think that you're, uh, you know, good good horror for me is like there's some really fucked up stuff, and not every ending has to be happy. You know, I don't yeah. like that always, but there's a lot of good ones that have at least kind of a little hope at the end. And not that this is the end; we won't talk about that to spoil that. But it it, it kind of feels like you set up the book where yeah, there's some seriously fucked up stuff that happens in their own separate lives, but there's kind of beauty in childhood, um, innocence, if yeah. you will, innocence, even in the face of uh, brutality, which is, it's hard to pick up that concept as an adult because we're bitter assholes. Yeah, <laughs> now, absolutely. <laughs> am I, am I hitting the mark at all with, with your, with um this story? Yeah, absolutely. Like there is like, oh, like one of the reasons I specific, like chose to make them, like young people was that you do sort of have this sort of journey where you realize that you know things may not be as innocent as you seem like especially with Zoe like she's just desperately trying to cling on to whatever childhood innocence she's had left in comparison to Elle who's pretty much lost all of hers so I guess sort of yeah I guess sort of the whole book is pretty much about that you know sort of journey to adulthood and how much you know, how you sort of adapt and how, like, you sort of can choose or, like, I guess not always, you know, it doesn't always feel like a choice, but it's like, okay, how am I going to progress forward despite this, if that makes sense? It does make sense. And you know what? I have a question, but I can't remember who's 
the little sister here. I feel like an idiot. I should know this, but like you got a big <laughs> sister in there. Who's the who's the yeah, older Jess sister? and Nails. So Jess is the older sister, Elle's the younger sister. Okay, that's it. Yeah, Jess. Throwing in that aspect, uh kind of it, it throws a curveball in their friendship. And and like we've all seen it, we've been a part of it. So all my it's not a question, but my comment is is that um I could relate in some ways, just seeing it with my my friends and their siblings. Um, actually, I do have a question. Is that based off of anything that you experienced personally? Well, I know as well. Like um, when you're in that sort of situation, siblings like sort of take on a role. And of course, you know, I've met other people in a similar situation. So it's just like, uh, it's a very interesting sort of dynamic that like, okay, who falls into which role? Who falls into like a caretaker role? And who falls into like how's everyone's trauma responses and how that affects everyone's relationship with each other? If that makes sense. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm, I, it does make sense. I'm listening. I mean, I just listen. Now. I'm sorry. You did. Brain not working well right now. Um, I'm just trying to think about everything you said and not sound like a moron, but I already failed at that. So your cover. <laughs> I want to. I wanted to ask earlier. Is there anything that you could tell us why you chose that cover without spoiling anything for potential readers? Yeah, pretty much like uh, like if you um, can see the cover, like regardless of your listening or viewing. But yeah, pretty much like I wanted to have this sort of like dark background mm-hmm. that sort of like represented like the dark path the girls were going down and then just have like this big red door that reflected like the door to the house, but then just have nothing else. Because, um, like, Sam suggested, like, oh, maybe we should have the house um, in the book cover. And I did consider that because I'm like, yeah, probably good idea. It's, it's in the title. But at the same time, <laughs> but at the same time, I went, oh, like, first of all, like, design-wise in regards to, like, my artistic eye, I'm like, oh, that might be a bit too much. Like, it might make the cover a bit crowded. But at the same time, I sort of wanted to, uh, I guess, create a sort of bit of mystery to it because it's sort of like they're opening a door and heading down a path that's completely unknown so I wanted to make it I guess as not minimalistic but I didn't want to give too much info away Hmm. so pretty much it's just like yeah they're stepping into another aspect of life that they unfortunately like they can't enjoy the sort of uh like innocence of childhood anymore if that makes sense yeah no I'm totally with you now Helena and uh when we entered that house, are those the first two books you've ever written or have you written anything? I know short fiction, you've got a short list of publications there, but I'm curious if long fiction wise, if you've written anything before these two. Yeah. Like uh, I did write, like um, uh, I started officially like writing like full on manuscripts when I was 16 and they were terrible. Like I keep a few of them just so I can look back when I'm having one of those writer days. It's like, oh, I'm a fraud. My writing's terrible. But then, of course, I look back and I'm just like, actually, no, everything's fine. Like, <laughs> but yeah, like um, one thing I'm working on at the moment is sort of like more dark fantasy. And it's actually inspired by a friend of mine who, and we were talking about like the Fae and mm-hmm. like sort of Scottish and Celtic um, folklore. 
And I didn't know this, but like apparently um, like their fairies are just sort of like these mini, mini like evil tricks to gods. So now she's telling me about them. I'm like, go on. And they're like taking notes. So I'm hoping to write like a full length novel about that because like I like writing novellas because I like reading them and I just have this fear of like, oh, what if I'm dragging on for too long? So I want to actually want to put on like my big girl, big girl pants and go, okay, you can write a full length novel. You can do it. And like, hopefully I'll have that finished soon. That's pretty funny. Um, you know what? I, the whole dragon on thing, like I, I never even, I never even thought of that aspect of it, but that's it's funny because yeah, that is a fair, like you don't want to overstay your welcome as a writer. Exactly. Um, you, you know what? I wrote my first, cause I always wanted to be a screenwriter and I didn't realize I wanted to be a novelist until way later. But when I was 13 to 16, cause it took a few years. I wrote my first full-length feature script. It's not very good. It's a slasher, but like, <laughs> I just that made me laugh too because uh, you're like it's crap or whatever. But I'm curious if you've picked apart that script. If there's aspects of it where I mean, not script, your manuscript where you're like this is good, but it's not executed the right way. That's what I did with mine. Like I got a novel that I wrote based off of, I wrote that two years ago based off of that screenplay from when I was in my teens. I'm curious if maybe you did something similar as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, there was this um, uh, thing is I had it edited in everything, but looking back on it, I'm just like, okay, I can see why this is public. This wasn't like published. I can see why no one picked it up. But yeah, and pretty much like I have kept a hold of it and I have like I have like a sort of like notes page or whatever in one note where I'm just like sort of writing like, okay, this is what I can change. This is what I can sort of and I have like almost reinvented it, but at the same time sort of kept a lot of what, you know, was originally there, like maybe just changed a few character names and maybe sort of changed the main character. But yeah, like. Yeah, definitely. Like I never sort of like throw out an, an idea. Like I never, like, even if I did not end up liking some, like, okay, that could be for later. Yeah. Like, I think that's the best thing about it, sort of being a creator. It's just like, there's no, well, there is such thing like, eh, no, there is no such thing as a bad idea. It's just like not the best idea for now, or it just needs reworking. I know that Stephen King uh, said that a notebook is basically a good way to filter out he said good and bad ideas, but same, you know, not same concept. Actually, it's not the same at all, but you know what? Notebooks are good. Ideas are good. Brennan, yeah. jump in because you're the asshole that wrote his first book and it's a good debut. So you can't relate yeah. to us. You're, you're better. <laughs> no, I, I, I wouldn't say that because it sounds pompous and I just wouldn't say that. Anyways, I'm just trying to sound better than you. You. <laughs> Yes. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, so, some of the best advice I've ever heard is just, you know, don't, no matter how pissed off you are at something you wrote, looking at it and saying, oh, this is just, you know, a steaming pile of garbage, um, never delete anything because you never know when you can go and mine it and, you know, Frankenstein's monster, the thing. Um, so, I mean, that's certainly kind of piggybacking off what yours. Now, you're, you're talking a little bit about process. So let's, let's go there. Um, specifically with uh when we entered that house when you kind of had the idea did you know novel story novella or did you are, are you an outliner what's the process for kind of starting that thing off 
Oh, definitely. Like, um, actually what originally inspired on when we entered that house was a picture. Like, ironically, it was like a sort of photography sort of thing of these two girls, like holding hands in front of like a decaying mansion. So that's what originally sparked the idea. And then, yeah, from that, like, I'm definitely like, oh, I don't know the like, uh, like, uh, like I definitely like to outline every aspect of the book beforehand. But one thing I weirdly like to do is I like to leave the ending opening because I sort of, because like I never come up with a perfect ending. Like I normally come up with it at the last minute because I've gone through that whole journey of just like, okay, what feels right? Because yeah, definitely with all of that, like I didn't, like I changed up the ending like so many times, like especially towards the end, like um the lovely, um Jessica Drake Thomas, she edited it and just sort of seeing me go like, oh, wait, no, I think I'll change this. And she's just like, okay, sure. Just doing that. And then, so you're just planning out the whole thing, maybe sitting with it. Like it's very chaotic. Like I always try to figure out like a clean way to answer that question. But like, I think it really depends on the book. So yeah, definitely with this one, it was very much playing it out, leaving the ending opening and just working it from there. I, I like that process because I I appreciate outliners, but I can't be friends with them. I don't understand how their <laughs> brains work. Um, somebody who can conceive of like an entire outline that they stick to. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure they they tweak dialogue and little things here and there. But somebody who, you know, starts writing the first sentence and already knows what the last one is going to be. That I just don't understand because I feel like you you discover so much about it. And I think uh, your process of knowing most of the story, but leaving the ending open and just discovering where it needs to go throughout, you know, throughout the whole writing process. Um, I think that's great. Um, my Mine isn't quite that organized, but it's kind of the same way where I'll, you know, start with the germ of that idea and then get to know my characters. So is that just for this one or is that generally how you write? Honestly, generally, like it'll depend like how flexible I am. Like, uh, like I'll just like, uh, I think for Helena, I was like a lot more, I guess, stern with it. Like I had much more of an outline for that one and had like a bit more of a clear idea where it was going to head. But for with um, when we entered that house, I didn't really know. But like I was um, hoping to meet the deadline, ironically, for Off Limits Press. So I'm like, okay, I need to just start writing and see where that goes. And yeah, I'm really happy with how it ended up because uh, I think it ended up like a lot, like I didn't have that sort of epilogue bit at the end. Like I didn't have that at all, but I'm really glad that I added that just to sort of wrap it up nicely. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Maybe you said it earlier, but uh, I didn't know that you wrote this specifically for the call. Yeah, like um, I had the idea for a while. I just sort of didn't really have that sort of kick to start it, uh, especially since um, Helena was just being released. So I had I was quite busy, you know, making like doing all <laughs> yeah. the marketing for that. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just sort of like, oh, okay, quickly, let's see if I can do this. And like, I think I managed to finish it in two months. Did you go through beta readers or was it just you edited it and Yeah, I got a, actually Jessica was like, um, she was so helpful. Like she gave like a lot of insight into it. And I'm honestly so happy I went through her and just sort of, yeah, just, yep. It was, it was a really quick process. Cause again, I was trying to meet that deadline, which I sort of need. Otherwise I just, I take my time. 
<laughs> so it's just like <sighs> I totally get that. I love the cover for Helena too. It's really it's just gorgeous. I don't obviously listeners can't see it. So Google Helena by Cheryl <laughs> Smith. <laughs> um Brennan, I feel like you got a follow-up question for that. Oh yeah, you know, you you had mentioned, and uh, now I'm spacing on your exact words, so I'm going to paraphrase, uh, paraphrase that you just do a little bit at a time. Um, are you somebody who just does a little bit every day? Do you write in bursts and then take you know breaks, or what's your general um, routine like? Oh, definitely. Like I normally um, like I'll try to do a little bit every single day. Like uh, whether it's like even if it's just like a hundred words versus a thousand, like I try to keep in that habit and I normally do it through like quick little bursts. Cause I can't really like, otherwise my brain just goes all fuzzy. Like if I'm sort of sitting there for like extended periods of time, like all my creativity goes out the window. So I'm like, okay, I'll go walk around the kitchen for a hot minute and come back. So yeah, definitely. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise I, it just all goes to hell. I'm just like sort of staring at the screen and nothing's happening. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, have you ever through, through, you know, deadlines or, you know, trying to get a 40,000 word novella done for the off limits call, um, put yourself in a position where you have to write for like three, four, five hours at a time. Oh yeah. Actually the night before, um, this is when I was getting like the last edit, um, actually no, the first draft back to Jessica. Cause she's like, okay, if we're going to get this in by like the call deadline, I need the finished by this time. And I'm like, okay. And I think I chunked out like 4,000 words over the course of like five hours from like 10 p.m. when I got home from work till like, I, don't know, I can't do math, till like the early hours of the morning. <laughs> A long time. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Just yeah. like email Jessica, just like, here it is. I'm going to bed now. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I don't make a habit of it, but on days where I, you know, kick out three or 4,000 words, uh, my, I feel like my brain is smoking afterwards. It's like, I just, yeah, I'm not built for that. Yeah. I'm not built for that. <laughs> I, you know, thousand words at a time, maybe an hour and then find something else to keep me busy. <laughs> I tried, yeah. uh, I used to write a lot for like hours and hours before, way before my kid was born and my, my head would kill. Like, it would be a major headache. So maybe that should have been a sign, but I kept at it. Uh, today, I wrote, for the first time in months, 2,600 words, and that was over, like, five hours. And I was like, oh, God, this uh, it feels great, <laughs> but my head again. I, I like Joe, Joe Lansdale's approach, where it's three hours, and that's it. Yeah. I'm sort of the same where like, it's like, okay, I have like three hours and then that's it. Like, even if I only get a hundred words out, otherwise, like, again, I'll just be spending like five hours staring at the screen when nothing's coming. <laughs> so okay, uh, instead. I'd like to talk about uh, Australia. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. Oh, I was just going to say, I think like the best, you know, if, if, if you're like, it sounds like us, um, you know, the best thing I, I ever heard there was just don't forget that it's not just writing that counts as writing. It's it's editing. It's reading back something you wrote yesterday. It's, uh, you know, updating your website. It's, you know, looking for open story calls. All that is perfectly legitimate, you know, writing time and stuff that needs to be done. Just because we're yeah. not churning out a thousand words a day doesn't mean that we're not, you know, getting things done. Absolutely. 
So I would like to know about any suggestions or any, really any, I guess, suggestions would be for other Australian writers that you particularly enjoy. Because when we talk to people that are outside of the U.S. um, and we ask this question, we always get some interesting people that we've never even heard of before. So is there anyone Australian based that you would suggest to look into? Oh, there's this really great, um, she does like a whole range. Um, her name is um, Katya. I can't remember her last name off the top of my head. God. So, but um, yeah, she's um, like one of her books, Oasis, is just a really interesting sort of surreal read that's just, oh, I'm so sorry when I get called out. But yeah, like there are definitely a lot of Australian authors that you can definitely check out, like, um, if you're really into like gothic sort of sort of gothic reads, a really great sort of Australian-based um, story that's pretty famous is Picnic by Hanging Rock, and it's based off a true story about these three girls that were at a finishing school that just disappeared into the Australian bush one day, and they just never figured out what happened to them. And someone wrote a novel about it. Sounds terrifying. Yeah, especially since, like, that's where I grew up. Like, I grew up in the country and I'm just like, oh, yeah, you can, with all, like, the snakes and the kangaroos and the emus, like, it's not good. (laughs) The most interesting story from Australia I've read so far is Rue by Alan Baxter. (laughs) Yeah? It's it's just, how would you describe it, Brandon? Because I want to say it's, like, kind of like a B-film horror movie where it's cheesy. Yeah, it's a cheesy creature feature type. It's a killer kangaroo, very cliche of Mr. Baxter there. But it, it's just funny. He took a lot of the names from people on like the uh, independent horror side, the book book world, and uh, just wrote about them, like me and Keelan Patrick Burke or Sadie Hartman. And it was <laughs> it was fun. It, it's like we all kind of bullied him into writing this story, and uh, he wrote it, and then uh, killed off a lot of us. <laughs> Like, okay, I'll write this. It won't be exactly what you're expecting, but that's the point. Did you grow up in Australia? Because, like, again, Al Baxter, he used to live in uh, Britain or England and moved to Australia years and years ago. So I'm curious if you're a native. Yeah, definitely. Like, I do have a lot of friends that maybe started off in other countries then moved down here, but, yeah, born and raised in Aussie land. Yeah. No, I... I've always wanted to go there. I think it's really, it's just very different. And the more stories I hear about it, I still want to go, but I'm terrified that I'm going to die down there. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Like just normal things that I assumed like everyone does. I'm just like, wait, you don't do that. Like um, whenever you go outside and put your shoes on, you have to like tap like your shoe to make sure there's no spiders in there. Oh, shit. I haven't heard that one before. Like, always. It's a habit. Otherwise, you know, you slip your foot in and you're like, oh, God. I'm Shake like, out your pants and, no. Yep. We got I remember once, um, yeah, I was um, out with my friends. We were kids and we would always have to, like, um, like in the pool or whatever, we'd have to shake our towels. Otherwise, you know, you have, like, this huge huntsman that's, like, the size of your palm crawling over your shoulder. Oh yeah. See, now Patrick's being the moment, but hilarious like, later. He's saying he'd like to go to Australia someday. I don't. I, I have no. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't blame I'm, I'm you. I'm horrified of your country, so I, <laughs> it will not surprise me if um you know if we're we're talking to you and just one of those palm-sized huntsmen just walks across your wall behind you. I just assume that's something that happens there. 
Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, like that- it wouldn't like it would slightly bother me. I'm just like, okay, you stay in your corner. All good. Is that gonna like- get a baseball bat and take it out? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Is there anything else that you've heard from other people outside of Australia that you're like, I always thought that was normal because now you got me thinking, what else? Is there? Oh, off the top of my head, like, oh, like one thing like that always gets me about like sort of when people talk about Australia is like um the aspect of Vegemite, but everyone's always eating it wrong whenever like I see it on YouTube. I'm just like, no, you meant to have just like a tiny bit, not like full and loaded on like butter. I've had, I've not tried that. So whenever that happens, I'll, <laughs> I'll just have a little it's bit. Just like very lightly. Brennan, of the Australian authors we talked to, what would you say your favorite story is Australian-based? What's that? It's probably rude to ask because we have an an Australian author on, so I probably worded that terribly. Okay, (laughs) let's backtrack. Instead of favorite, let's just say interesting. What is another, that isn't clear because she's on right now, we're talking about her books, another Australian author, uh, Australian-based book that you would throw out there to kind of recommend people. You know, it's not somebody we've talked to and I don't know what she's up to these, these days, but um, one of the first, when I started reviewing books, one of the first people to uh, send me a book was a girl named Claire Fitzpatrick, who's based out of Australia. And she wrote this killer collection of body horror stories called, I think it was, I don't think it was metamorphosis, but it's something close to that or it might be that. Um, but I haven't seen her put anything out in the last three years. And that was such a good collection. I hope she's doing all right. Do you want to talk about your favorite uh, Australian horror story when we have an Australian on and make yourself look mean? I get it. I'm, I'm not going to cut that part out. I okay. sound like an asshole. I, I, I admitted that. Don't nope, leave on. it. I leave most stuff actually. So there's, it's like I said, if I meet someone in person, they're gonna be like, oh, you're so much more mean in person. But um, no, I don't. I don't have any. They're all beautiful in their own way, own twisted way. So, so, so you asked a mean question, then you don't even have an answer for it. I already said. <laughs> I, I said Rue. I liked Rue a whole lot. Better than Claire's book? Oh my god, yeah. dude! That's seriously. Not- Oh man! Just <laughs> yeah, so you're out as host. So Claire, uh, we've mentioned Helena a few times, and uh, I I will you know admit I have not had the chance to read this one yet, but I I want to I want to find out a little bit more about it. And truth be told, now that you've shared that the uh, My Chemical Romance connection, I'm I think I'm definitely going to have to check this out. So. Uh, give us give the synopsis on that one. Oh, definitely. So uh, pretty much it's set in the Victorian era in London and it's about um, a woman named Helena, shocker, <laughs> and um, she's a mortician and she's like obviously seen as sort of very mysterious and strange since she's a woman who owns her own business, she isn't married and she knows how to stick up for herself. But the sort of like kicker is that she's a mortician, but she can also see and interact with ghosts. And the another big problem is that unfortunately um, they're not very happy that they're dead. 
and they're very confused. And as a result, she finds herself in constant danger and she can't really tell anyone about it because it's like, okay, this is how I get thrown into a mental asylum. So, and so on top of that, on top of like all those issues, a serial killer starts to sort of make their rounds. And this is sort of seen as sort of a blessing for her because it's like, oh, I get so much more business because so many people are dying. But at the same time, people are automatically suspicious of her because they're like, oh, she's already a bit weird. Maybe she's doing this, like maybe she's the serial killer and now she's like, oh, great, I have to go and try and prove my innocence even though I don't want anything to do with this. So, yeah, it's just sort of like a spooky sort of gothic horror mystery type thing. So I think I read that it takes place in 1855. Did you do any research into what it was like to be a mortician? And also I'm curious if it was common for a woman to be able to be a mortician back then, or was that just. Yeah. Ironically, that was actually um, what inspired um, the, the novella because um, I actually looked it up and I came across this article that it was not completely like it wasn't it was like like not too common practice but it wasn't like since being a mortician and sort of running a funeral parlor was sort of seen as a very like caring role so it was almost seen as sort of like on par with things like nursing and teaching and things like that so although it would have been a little bit uncommon for a woman to be running it completely by herself it was still seen like the death industry in itself was seen as a sort of opportunity for women to sort of gain financial independence in that way so yeah it was definitely like I think more so in America but yeah it was it wasn't like entirely unheard of for a woman to be sort of being doing like mortician work yeah have this isn't mortician work exactly but have you either one of you heard of uh, the book called The Butchering Art it's by Lindsay Fitzharris it's um what is it The Grizzly World of Victorian Medicine so it's yeah oh my god like it's just insane like they'd literally um like one of the things they would do i believe um is they'd like tie like a piece of bacon or a piece of meat if you had like tapeworm or something and like lower (laughs) it down on like a footing hook down into you like your intestines of hope of luring it out surprisingly it didn't work because you'd probably (laughs) choke on the fishing wire but yeah that's like just the level of it like it was like obviously they didn't have what we have so it was obviously like always quite messy but yeah just that sort of aspect of history just interests me in the most morbid way yeah messy and like you can't get knocked out like you can't buy medicine or laughing gas or any of that and when you wake up oh god nothing's (laughs) gonna be the same ever again so yeah anyways that book's fucked up but because of how like lucky we are nowadays for the medication and technology we got. Um, I'm going to jump gears to something else. It's pertaining to, I saw a drawing by you. It was on your Instagram. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. yeah we both share a love for that. My, I love the movie, but I also have a big love for the, uh, the book that in red dragon. So it said that Silence of the Lambs was, uh, that's the one that did it for you. That's the one that got you into horror. Yeah, definitely. Like um, Silence of the Lambs. And again, just sort of having that sort of like 
sort of vibe where it's all all about the atmosphere, all about like the little details. Like one of my favorite like trivia from the movie was that um throughout the majority of like Hannibal's first meeting with Clarice, um he doesn't blink at all during that whole interaction. I didn't think of that. Wow. Yeah, like that's why he's seen so creepy is that he's just like, because um, Anthony Hopkins, he um, researched the role by like watching serial killer like interview tapes and he watched Ted Bundy's and he just noticed throughout the whole time he barely blinked as well and just incorporated that. And I'm just like, just those little things that just stand out that you may not notice. Like I think he only blinks twice because like you automatically blink when you turn your head and obviously when he turns his head, but like, other than that, like he's actively just gazing into your soul on purpose. We are all attempting to turn our heads now to see if we can do it without. Yep. Without... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what everyone does whenever I tell them that. It's just like, what? I Hopefully really people want... who are driving and listening to this aren't trying that. That's not safe. And if yeah, you do it. Please be t- careful. <laughs> <laughs> if you do it, just like message us or something while you're driving. Tell us that one. That's terrible. <laughs> You're going to get us sued. <laughs> oh, they're just like, this is the vibe. Just like, damn it. So I love that movie too. I really love the book more though. Um, the movie's great. It's one of those where it's like, I could see people saying the books, the book and movie are, you know, neck and neck, but I like the book a, a lot better. And um, it's just one of those things where there's a lot of co- like copycat stories after it for good reason and yeah. yeah you're talking about atmosphere and tone and it's just so it's so creepy throughout the whole thing and you're dealing yeah. with more than one serial killer too yeah just like oh one's enough why must we have two that are scaring the hell out of me you talked about ted bundy and ted bundy was um one of the people that Let's see. Uh, what's it was in the? I can't remember when he was killed. Um, oh. But right before he was killed, he helped solve a, a crime for the Green River Killer because that's where Ted Bundy's killed too. And um, yeah, you know that's kind of like what. Um, wow, my brain's not working again. Anthony Hopkins' character, Hannibal Lecter. That's what Hannibal Lecter did. It's just kind of neat how like art reflects real life and uh, vice versa it did you absolutely did you uh watch or read red dragon as well no um honestly like i have a friend who has like all of the copies of silence lands and i've been meaning to borrow them but we're in the middle of like uh the last like hopefully the last couple of weeks of lockdown here in melbourne so i haven't had the chance to see her and just go hey can i steal your books for a couple of weeks but yeah like definitely like it's one of those ones that I've just been desperate to to read because you know there's this whole sort of debate between like oh book versus movie but like when you have such an argument for both it's always interesting or at least worth like diving into both. Uh, Red Dragon's really creepy the main antagonist in that one is uh Francis Dollarhide and he's just yeah (laughs) I'll leave it at that he's very creepy yeah, uh, Brent, you want to dive into uh, what are you reading soon or right now? It's up to you, man. Yeah, I, I have one question and I, I'm interested because I have no idea what the answer is, but I'm wondering if you celebrate Halloween in Australia. Ooh, that's a good question. Ooh. 
honestly, like, like you guys, like up in America, you guys like blow it out of the park. You guys do it amazing. Like, but unfortunately not as much here. Like, first of all, um, it's spring right now. So we don't have, you know, all the cool, like full vibes <laughs> and yeah, it's not really as much of a thing. Like at, at most, like it's a great excuse to throw a costume party and like, you know, have a good time, but yeah, no, we don't really trick or treat. We don't really sort of have any stuff like, you know, the department stores might try and push some decorations, but everyone's just like about it. Like no one really decorates unless, you know, you're like me and I'm just like, oh yes, I'm going to keep this up. Oh yeah. Give me those skulls. <laughs> like, yeah, no, the, yeah the other than that. No, the wall behind you is a great decoration. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's a joke. There is no spider for audio listeners. Um, I'm yeah. so sorry that you you get uh, shorted yeah. on spooky season. It makes sense that, uh, you know, a fall is such a big uh, aspect of it. So, you know, where you are approaching summer, I guess that makes sense. But it's just uh, just I, I, I feel terrible for 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 you guys for missing out on that because it's so much fun. And it's such, you know, especially yeah. where you grew up in the country, uh, it's going trick-or-treating and uh you know picking out your costume and all that stuff you know just being out and wild uh as as a kid is just it's such a nice it's such a fun coming of age thing that's why we all rave about it so yeah you should just, like it was just something i always saw just like in american movies like it's just like oh yeah that's what they do over there Make Sorry? a pilgrimage here some October and just, you know, go yeah. for it. No, nobody cares if you're, you know, really tall and donning a costume. They'll just, they'll think you're a really, too, uh, a really tall, like fifth grader or something. <laughs> It'll be fun. Yes. <laughs> I'll, awesome. I'll just come in and just be like, I'm coming guys. Yep. If I, if I never been to America during Halloween, I will go to Salem. Like I've been to Salem a few times and October yeah. is just so much fun. Nice. That's in the bucket list. When like travel opens up. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, take us away, sir. All right. So uh what are you currently reading or what have you read recently that you'd like to plug, give a shout out to any authors? Ooh, definitely have I'll have a look. Oh, so I just um sort of hyped this up on um a good friend of mine, um Jodeline. She's a um a book a booktuber, and I've just um recommended this. Um she's coming out with a collab soon. But one book that I absolutely love that I just love rereading because like it just gets me every time is um Sarah Tantlinger's To Be Devoured. And it's just honestly, it's one of those books, like because normally I I have the worst memory. I will like forget like the details of a plot like not long after I've read it, especially if I've started another book. But with hers, it's just it like absolutely just like tore into me. It was such like a captivating read. And uh like normally I'm not too into like full-on gore like I like just a sort of tasteful amount but with like I was physically gagging at one point because I was like (laughs) oh like I was gonna have dinner afterwards but then I sort of like just got up and went okay I think I'm gonna put that off for a while (laughs) otherwise it's just not gonna feel right I totally get that I have never gotten to that one and I don't know why it's like it was everybody and their mom was reading it like um year yeah. year and a half ago and i i feel like i just missed the boat now it's too late i mean yeah. it's definitely no, not definitely too late but it. it feels like that <laughs> you, yeah. know, you don't know why dude we read like so many damn books a month that's why <laughs> yeah. yeah honestly no worries so we can fit in a novella right no problem <laughs> 
Uh, Brennan, what are you currently reading? Um, actually, it's funny because you you mentioned uh, Scottish and Celtic folklore earlier. Um, I just finished up uh, Jennifer Susie's Dead in the Water. And it's, uh, first of all, it takes place uh, right near me on Cape Cod, which is kind of a um, vacation destination on the East Coast of uh, Massachusetts. Um, but this one deals with marrow and other uh, Celtic folklore creatures. Um, and it's, she put out a book earlier this year called Clementine's Awakening. And it was, I, I didn't know what to expect from it. I'd never read anything by her before, but it just really grabbed me. You know, she's such an awesome writer and she, book. yeah, she creates such good characters and same here. It follows a set of, uh, triplets who are, you know, o- older women at this point in the book. Um, and there, she just writes them with this, with this depth that you are invested in them like 20, 25 pages in, um, and they go through this weird, wild journey and you're, you know, totally there for it, but really, really excellent. Pat, so, how about you? Yeah, me, um, I'm reading Phil Fricazzi's Boys in the Valley. Um, it's, I'm not too far into it, so I don't, I'm not even going to pretend to talk about what the whole thing's about, but Brandon, you finished it, so why don't you tell us what it's about? So it's, uh, it... <laughs> Can I do your work for you? Come on. Yep. Um, <laughs> it takes place in, I think, 1905 at a Catholic orphanage. Um, and put bluntly, an evil force invades this Catholic or- orphanage. But it's, uh, it's a really, really good coming-of-age story. It's got blood, guts, and, you know, really excellent uh, writing, as, as Philip does. Uh, truth be told... I, there's a lot of con- competition, but I think it's I think it's the best book I read this year so far. Wow. And one that I'm going to be starting soon for an upcoming guest. It's called uh, In the River by Jeremy Robert Johnson. Um, I don't know what it's about, but one of my friends who is not in the industry saw that we were talking with him and was like, hey, I have one of his books. I want you to read it. So he sent it to me, and uh, I'm going to read it. So hopefully... The- <laughs> I mean, he's a good author, so I'm, I'm expecting good things. Um, listeners, if you want to check out some Dead Headspace swag, go to deadheadspace.com or check out some reviews, articles by previous guests. Um, where can people follow you, Claire? Uh, honestly, like I'm all over. Like I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and on TikTok, all of which um, are under the same handle, thankfully. Um, it, so it's Claire L. Smith, except the I in Smith is an X because I have the world's most basic last name. <laughs> <laughs> so TikTok, that does seem like it's kind of catching on with authors. Why did you get yeah. one? Honestly, like, first of all, like I got it originally as a joke just to like consume media because I'm like, okay. I'm in lockdown. I don't know what to do with myself. And like, then I just got completely stuck to it. Like I could not get off it. So I'm like, okay, I might as well make some sort of excuse as to why I'm on here so often and actually, you know, make some sort of, you know, videos for my artwork and for my books and stuff like that. That's funny. It's um, like, yeah, I'm on here to promote my work. Totally. Not like 50 <laughs> dog TikToks. <laughs> I feel like TikTok more than any other social media, it's like playing the lottery. Cause it's like, yeah. you're going to invest your time. But if, if you're like, 
TikTok with your book takes off, like you're going to sell like an extra 5,000, 10,000 copies. So it's like, what the hell? Try it. Yep. Yeah. I've heard it can catch on pretty quick. So Claire, I'm wondering if you have any final thoughts. Final thoughts. Honestly, other than thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, honestly, like I think definitely like with when we enter that house, it's coming out in a few days on the 15th. I'm just like, I'm really excited for this one because like, for example, with um, Helena, I wrote that in a very like, um, uh, because I wrote Helena when I was 20 and it came out when I was 21 and I'm 22 now. And so, and those are just such big leaps as a person. So it's like new person, new book, you know, so many different challenges. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, awesome. it's just, I'm super hyped. I'm really excited. Yeah. You're, you're really young. So and I sound like an old bass. I know. Say, I'm only in my thirties, so not a big deal. But um, no, what yep. I was trying to say was that's amazing that she's publishing at, at the age that she is. That's awesome. I'm, I think Thank that's, you. yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there's people that probably don't even interact with you that look up to you for that reason. It's a big deal. So congrats on those two things. Yeah, absolutely. Brennan, final thoughts, young man, or should I say old man? He's 36 now. <laughs> yes. All right. So um, first of all, thank you for spending your morning slash early afternoon with us. Um and you know just congratulations on on the book by the time this airs it will be out people can get it like right this second they can pause they can get the book they can come back for the last 10 seconds of my final thoughts um but it's it's joining such a wonderful stable of authors in the off limits family um and and it fits right in so congratulations and i uh i hope you sell 10,000 of them yeah so or more <laughs> I echo Brandon, my final thoughts of that. And that, thank you, Claire. We really do appreciate talking with you and uh, you taking the time of your mo- Tuesday morning. Uh, <laughs> what, what is even time anymore? We've been in lockdown too long. <laughs> Days don't even matter anymore. Uh, listeners, next episode is episode 121 with Lucy A. Snyder. That airs next Monday. So stay tuned for that. As always, you have many choices in podcasts. Thank you for picking us. You are now leaving Deadhead Space.